They say that in the case of mysterious deaths, the first 48 hours are critical. If investigators don't make a breakthrough in that time, the chances of resolving the case are greatly diminished. But what if you don't make a breakthrough in the first 48 hours or the first 48 days? What if you don't make a breakthrough in the first 48 years? Welcome to the mysterious case of Fred the Head and one of the UK's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 2 The Discovery Now, you may remember at the end of the last episode I tracked down a contact for the person who found the body in 1971, David Nathan. Uh, Luckily, he's still alive, very much so. I called him and we had a long conversation and this episode features that conversation. It's the only recording I know of that provides David Nathan's personal account of what happened that night in 1971. A number of questions are raised as part of this conversation. At the end, I'll try to summarize those questions and where it leads us to next. At the start of the conversation, he also talks about some confusion around the day the body was found. In reporting of the case and in subsequent books, it's sometimes referred to the 26th or the 27th of March. It's very clear now from David Nathan's perspective that the body was originally found on Friday the 26th of March. So that's what the initial part of this conversation is referring to. One other thing, you'll hear David mention someone who's been talking to Fred. He's talking about a medium who claims to talk to Fred from beyond the grave. Now we've tracked him down and we've interviewed him and he will be coming up in a future podcast. Believe me, it's fascinating. The call lasts about 15 minutes. I must admit, before the call, I was worried that David wouldn't want to answer questions, particularly to a complete stranger, about something that happened particularly as serious as this 50 years ago. But I have to be honest, once his natural reticence had been overcome, He seemed very prepared to talk. He seemed very open to discuss the details. And this is a really fascinating account. Hello. Hello, David. Ken Davis. Hello. Is is it convenient to talk? Yes, by all means. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that, David. Uh, Those two dates you're on about. Yeah. Certain people say one date and certain people say the day after. Yeah. I, I phoned up Pete Huff yesterday. The detective inspector in charge of the case at Burton. And he said, Yes, he said, but remember, he said, we talked about it. He said, You found only the head on the first date, and the next day the body was found. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Uh, I only uncovered the head. At that point, I suppose, if you didn't really, or anybody realise there was a body attached to it. Okay, so the 26th, because I remember you saying when we spoke on Friday that you felt it was a weekday. Yeah, uh, definitely. The reason I know it's a weekday is because we're, as a hobby, we're firearms, and my business partner myself are firearms dealers, and we yeah. left the rifles, target rifles, out to the local scout group. And when they were returned, our shot was absolutely rammed with police. 
the score had finished, they dropped all the guns back. That's how I know it was definitely on a Friday, because they met every Friday. If you read reports... Some of them do say the 26, actually. Some say 26, some say 27, and you've explained that, so I'm really grateful. So I guess really, officially, I suppose his body was found on the 26th, because you, you, found, you found part of it on the 26th, and I guess they dug it up the next day. They didn't do any digging, because it was in the evening when yeah. I found it, you know, it was early, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, And no, di- except for me, no digging took place on the day I uncovered the head. Okay. It was just a policeman, it was covered up, I think it was covered up, and a young policeman stayed with it all night, and then all the digging took place the next day. On the Sunday, all the reporters came down from all the multinationals. Well, that's interesting, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't have that policeman's job that night. Uh, that doesn't sound like uh, something I'd want to be doing. Batteries ran out, apparently, partway through the night, or <laughs> Just for my benefit, describe for me the location because am I right in thinking you had a workshop on on if you like the Winds Hill side of the river correct right and and is that near the flour mills yes right the flour mill uh, is about 150 200 yards I would imagine further downstream your location was closer to the bridge than than the flour mill came out the back door of the workshop and the bridge was there I've got you yeah. Unawares, if you looked out of where I sat at doing my watch repairs, yeah. I could actually see uh, the actual, where the site was. Okay. And we've seen nothing, nothing untoward at all. Okay, that's in, well, it would have been a, quite a few months or years before, I guess, wouldn't it? Well, it was only, um, I, think it, I think they said the body had been there between nine and yeah. 18 months. The bridge that you used to use to cross the Trent... It's not there anymore, is it? No, in one of the floods. Apparently, the, I didn't realise the bridge wasn't attached to the riverbed. It stood on big wooden pylons. <laughs> one day, there was a flash flood. Yeah. The tree got stuck under the bridge and it just... Took the whole thing away. Came up and it went straight over the top of the river and disappeared. OK. So the bridge that you used to use to cross, if we've got the flour mills, you're about 100 yards... Further upstream. Further upstream from that. Yeah. Now, now the bridge that you used to cross over, th- was that next to you, if you like? Was that next to your workshop or close to your workshop? Where was that bridge? About 15, 20 feet past the property boundary. OK. Towards the flour mill or away from the flour mill? Away from the away, flour mill. Away from the flour mill. OK, OK. In other words, you, you used to come out the front door of their, our shop. Yeah. Yeah. About 20 paces, turn right, and there is the, the gateway to the bridge. OK, OK. Facing the bridge to my back, that was the manager's house of the actual mill. Greenstone's mill manager, Joe Marston, who was the manager. And the mill, presumably, at that point in time, was operational? Yes, fully operational, yes. OK, and what I'm thinking there is, of course, that location where he ended up... Apart from that bridge you were using, which is not there anymore, it's not an easy place to get to, really, is it, from the other way? That's what, every, that's what we all think. That's what the police couldn't, couldn't work out. It's such an out-of-the-way place. I mean, the bridge, uh, the actual door was locked, with a big padlock. Yeah. And the, uh, it, made a, it was covered in corrugated iron, so it made a right clattering noise when yeah. you actually unlocked it and dropped the actual bar. 
it's not a matter of tiptoeing across there, you know, it, it, and and I guess the the access, the people who had the keys to it would have been very few, I would imagine, wouldn't it? As far as I know, unless you work for the mill, and I don't know how obviously I don't know how many keys there were at the mill, we had the only key available. Business part and myself had one key between us which were kept in the shop. And if we wanted to go across the island, which I did virtually every day, every other day, with a shotgun we used to go shooting pigeons. And what was it used for, that bridge? It used to be uh, the main access to uh, John Peel's flint mill. The flint mill, I think, was knocked down in 1960-something. But but that had been long... Long gone. So... Disused for years and years. The people... You mentioned there that the people who would have access to that bridge, you, know, you, you did, because you went shooting there and you were, like, there. Do you think people in the mill would have had access to that bridge or been using that bridge for some reason? Okay. They have to keep clearing debris off the off the actual weir, the top of the weir. If, you, if there's a tree stuck on the weir, they have to go across and cut it, because if they didn't, it would the water would destroy the actual face and top of the weir. You can either cross the bridge or you can get there from the actual mill, and you could get there with a cart or a, a wheelbarrow to ferry the stuff back off the, the weir top. Okay, and because the weir presumably was important to the mill, well, yeah, that's the, that's the head of water to grow the flower. So if the, if there was because there's a lot of floods and a lot of trees around, if there was any debris caught in the weir, someone from the mill would go over the bridge you used to be, enable them to clear the weir. Yes. It's Friday. Do you say the 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 scouts or the schools would be doing some shooting on there or something on that on that Friday afternoon? They've got their own range at the grammar school. Army. Is it like the army cadets when it was yeah. grammar school? They had their own uh, rifle range. Okay. They borrowed some 2 rifles to actually uh, shoot and do training on the actual range at the grammar school. Okay. So, and you'd lent them the. To the, them. Yeah. Them out for their use. Okay. They have so many rounds of ammunition, they yeah. would pay for what they used and they'll be brought back in and that would be it. So, we know it was a Friday. So, you, you went on your normal shoot, I guess. Yeah, I just went across the bridge with a shotgun. What what kind of time are we talking about here? Just... No, it's just early evening. I'm specific on the time. Okay. So you go over the bridge. Did I read correctly you went with your dog? I've never owned a dog in my life. But I've read that somewhere. Take no notice of what, what you're reading the press. <laughs> That's, sorry, then. Uh, I don't know where that's come from. But it's good to be able to knock these things on the head, isn't it? Was it still light? Okay, so we know it wouldn't have been later than, than six o'clock then. So, so you go across, and you, I mean, just talk me through how you came to see it. Imagine you've got quite a few trees at the very back of the, what we call the island. At the very back, by the fence, there's like a rise, a hump, if you like, but it isn't a natural hump, it's two uh, kilns. Like buck type kilns yeah, without yeah. the tops on. I've got you. I know exactly what you mean. Two of them. I went, I went to the top of this, seeing if there was any pigeons on the land, on the field, flat the field, and I just happened to look down to the right hand side and saw this white, looked like a, about the size of a, a saucer, just looked like a bag of cement. Thought, that's odd. So I tapped it and it sounded hollow. What did you tap it with? Butter the gun. I've got a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. Shotgun. 
Lee Harlow's. I thought, that's odd. Anyway, carried on. And I thought, no, something's wrong. I, I went back to the shop, dropped the gun off, and got a, just got a spade. Went back again, started to dig round it and realised that it was a, a, a skull. OK. Uh, so I left the spade, went back and got my business partner, the guy I haven't got since now died. Mm-hmm. And uh, we dug round the actual face of the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, my business partner was a member of the Shakespeare Society, and of course you had to be d- dramatic about it. And he opened the mouth, and the tongue was still pink. Good God. It was a bit of a surprise, to say the least. Partner opened with this, this school's mouth, and the tongue was pink. I thought, oh my God. Yeah. So I think we better make a phone call, don't we? <laughs> I think we you're right. Went back to the shop. I phoned the police. And then all hell let loose. Those kilns you mentioned are they still there? Oh yeah, yeah, they're there. Okay. There's okay. a lot of uh, old building foundations over there, big blocks of sandstone with bearing marks and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's the only proper brickwork that's left standing, which is the two kilns. One of the things that just struck me, David, is if the fence was there, would it be difficult to come from the other way? Oh, God, it's simple as hell. When I say fence, it was an excuse for a fence. OK. Because the cows used to go all over the island. OK. So it wouldn't have stopped anyone reaching it from Meadow Lane? No. Uh, just by the way, just weather conditions, things like that. What would you any idea what it was like on 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 the on the evening itself? Fine. Wasn't raining out, so I wouldn't have gone across because I got the shotgun wet. So you've now got your partner, dug around, realised it's a skull. What happens from there? You go back and make a call. Well, I phoned up the Burton police station. Yeah, as I said, it all hell let loose. Police were just going out to a retirement party. Because uh, I knew them all. Of course you would, yeah. spend a lot of time with you afterwards in terms of investing, you know, talking you through the... Oh, yes. Um, I suppose I was at one point under suspicion, I don't know, but uh, obviously, you know, it's, but yes, I was, uh, had a full session with the police and made a proper statement and they took a statement on Gough Garth and off a lot of people that live locally took statements and to no avail, I'm afraid. It's, it's, it's impossible to think that somebody can disappear like that. It is impossible to think that. Yeah. You're right. In you know, I'm of the belief that whoever deposited them there knew that space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You would never have found it yeah. by accident, would you? No. No, you can't find it by accident. That's why I think this story about this man who's been talking to him since January said that it was one of the two or three of the mill workers that, that uh, dumped him over there. That's probably what his idea was. I don't know. 
I mean, it would be known to them, that area, and I guess on the basis that it would be known to them, is more likely than a completely random deposition of a body there. And I think we can rule that out, I think. Just by the way, obviously, because you, you mentioned you, spend, you used to spend a bit of time shooting on that kind of piece of land. Yeah, when talking to this with the police, I never saw anything. But you see, the, the thing is, with, with cows going across there, quite often you, you'd see the ground being disturbed. The damn thing was that that's the way usually up we walk to get on top of the killing top. We go up that bank, so we must have walked over it several times. So he was buried in the bank? Imagine oh. the side of the wall of the kiln. Which, which rises up, presumably. Rises up, hollowed it out next to the brick. Well, you've seen the photographs, and, and, and that's where it was found in there. Then they just cut back, filled it again. It wasn't like soil. It was um, like a... The stuff that you get out of fire and you throw to one side, clinker stuff. And clinker, that. yeah. Yeah. Well, that almost sounds like it wasn't... A... Dig, let's put it like that. So do you think it wasn't so much a burial as a put him against the wall and then cover him over? Or, and what do you think? I wouldn't know. No, OK, sorry. Never it's a question. thoughts on that. If, if a person's buried, they're buried, aren't they? Yeah, I just didn't know whether someone had dug a hole. They must have dug a hole because there was nothing disturbed, there was nothing around there to fill it with. Uh, I've got you. See what I mean? And yeah. if there was a hole there, we couldn't have got up it. Couldn't have walked up it. There'd have been a hole with it. That was in, uh, impossible. Just on that piece of land, obviously didn't see anything of the deposition or anything, but do you ever come across people? Was it um, never anyone on there? We used to get the odd fishermen, and they were told to get private property. But that's the only people you get across there. You know, we thought of that one. It still comes back to the same thing. It's got to be somebody. Thanks for downloading the podcast. If you're getting as intrigued as I am about this case, good, I need your help. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered to your phone, tablet or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify or Podbean. Now, back to the story. So what questions does that conversation raise? Well, the first and most obvious is, which route did the body take to its deposition? And I am assuming at this point that he was dead when he was taken there. Well, there are two alternatives, over the wooden bridge or from Burton. And remember, the body was found about 30 meters from the end of the bridge. So let's look at each in turn. The fact that the body is found close to where the bridge meets the island is a strong argument that it came over the bridge. It's the first place you could deposit a body after doing so. At the time that police estimate the body was buried, access to the bridge was severely restricted. It had a noisy padlock gates, and that would have made the process of deposition more difficult, but once achieved, it would be the perfect burial site. With almost certainty, it would never be discovered behind the locked gates. By the way, don't assume though, the gates had been there for a long time, that they were a permanent fixture. My research has shown that they had been there in place for only a few years at that point. Before then, the bridge could be used by anyone, and was, as a shortcut onto the island. Whilst 
The police estimated in 1971 the body had been buried for 9 to 12 months. They wouldn't need to be out by very much for his deposition to have been made when there was free access across the bridge. It might be worth noting a quote from a detective made at the time of the body's discovery. DCS Harold Wright said at the time, and I quote, We have located a skull on the top part of a torso. We don't know yet if there's a complete body or whether it's standing, sitting or in a lying position. We're unable to say how long it's been there. Might be 30 years or more. So it might be worth asking the question, in 1971, how certain the police could possibly be about the date of deposition, as any underestimation of that makes the burial site suddenly change from extremely difficult to access to completely easy to access. The other route is from Burton. Now that's possible, but it's difficult. Certainly more people had access that way at the time that police estimate the body was buried. But carrying a dead weight is difficult. And why do it over such a long distance? Particularly when there are many other deposition sites that you would naturally pass, which would be just as good. Why take him an extra half a mile than is necessary? Well, there could be one explanation for that. Murderers bury bodies where they feel comfortable where they know the surroundings, that they're in control, that they're familiar with the terrain. They know how to get on quickly, they know how to get off quickly. If the murderer knew the site and its inaccessibility, he may not have had access over the bridge himself. It's conceivable that they were prepared to carry the body that far because they believed it would never ever be discovered there. So, if they felt that there was value in taking the body that far, where they knew it wouldn't be found behind locked gates would be a pretty good spot, they may have come the Burton Way. But it would require them to know the existence of that site beforehand. The second curious thing is, why did David Nathan not report it to the police immediately. He was a special constable after all. Why was his first reaction to contact his business partner away at a school? Remember, this was long before mobile phones. He would have needed to ring the school around 7pm, get a message to Garth, wait for him to come back, go back to the site, dig around the head, and only then ring the police. It's easy to be critical of this, that was my first reaction, but having thought about it, I'm more hesitant to be critical. Firstly, do any of us really know how we'd react in the immediate aftermath of finding a body in the way that David had? It's easy to be wise after the event, but would you ring someone close to you first? You might do, I might do. Secondly, ancient bodies have turned up in this kind of location before. David Nathan didn't know that the body was a modern one when he found him. He didn't know that 
until Garth opened the mouth of the skull and saw a tongue there. And thirdly, remember, he did ring the police. If he had anything to do with this, he wouldn't have done that. The next intriguing thing is, why was there no sign of any disturbance? David visited this site very regularly indeed, pretty much every day for years. And according to David, he never saw any disturbance whatsoever of that ground in all the time he went there. That's strange. Now, we've only got David's word for that. Or have we? Remember, he wasn't the only person going over the bridge. The mill workers would have been using that area regularly. And as far as we know, they never reported a disturbance in the area either. And finally, the mill. The more I dig into this case, the more significant the mill appears to be to me. A busy working site at the time with access to the bridge, keys to get through the gates and over the bridge. People went from the mill to that site. How many people working at the mill knew of that site? I need to know more about the mill and this is where you might be able to help me. If any of you listening know anything about the history of Burton Flower Mills, certainly around the end of the 60s, start of the 70s, I'd really like to talk to you. Next time on the mysterious case of Fred the Head. We take a deep dive into the investigation. What the police discovered in 1971, what the autopsy revealed about the body, and how the police investigation got underway. If you're aware of anything relevant to this story, I really need to know. Contact me at fredtheheadpodcast at gmail.com That's fredtheheadpodcast at gmail.com But a couple of final things to mention. Don't jump to conclusions till you've heard the full story. Be careful not to point the finger at innocent people. But if you do know something, let me know or visit the Facebook group Who Was Fred the Head? and join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye. The Mysterious Case of Fred the Head is a GSC Media production. Written, produced and narrated by myself, Ken Davis.